everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Pioneer Cast. I'm Tanner Grace, as always, enjoying my Ross Merriam. And Ross, look, I know you always say you're tired, but you look extra chipper for this episode. And I gotta say, uh, did something over the last week kind of uh, recharge your batteries? You know, you kind of stole my thunder here because I thought you were going to ask me the question with the expectation oh, that I'm I would sorry. say I'm tired. And I was going to say, well, actually, Tanner, this week I'm quite refreshed. And you know what? I was just sick of it. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've, we've switched it up on you. You know, I'm keeping you on your toes again. Uh, I actually. I, I made I made these plans and I didn't really tell anybody about about it, but I made these plans a couple months ago. Uh, but I, I was looking through the the Utah Jazz schedule uh, as I do, and uh, before the season started, and I saw they were playing a back to back at home the week after the season two Invitational, and I said, you know what, fuck it, I'm gonna fly to Salt Lake City, and I'm going to you know just be there myself. I'm gonna go to both games. And I'm just going to have a good time and sort of get away from magic because I knew October was going to be a really long month. And then I was going to have a couple weeks where, you know, I wasn't traveling, but I was getting prepped for the Invitational, which is going to be super important because of the PC race. Uh, and so I figured, you know, after that long stretch, I was going to need just a week away or at least a, a weekend. I ended up, uh, you know, not skipping any verses. I, I actually left after verses last Thursday. You know, I went straight from the Star City Game Center to the airport, flew in Thursday night. So I'd have all day Friday, wouldn't have to worry about, you know, missing the Friday game if my plane got delayed or whatever, uh, and, you know, spent the extra money just for the extra night in the hotel, and flew back uh, Monday of this week, so yesterday, we're recording on a Tuesday evening, and, uh, you know, just, you know, had a nice relaxing weekend. I, um, I spent at least half an hour in the hotel hot tub every day. That was my one stipulation nice. for the hotel. You know, it doesn't have a hot tub. Uh, and, uh, you know, went to both games. The Jazz won both games. Went out and... Did you ever consider trying to find a hotel room that had, like, a jacuzzi in the room? Uh, I I considered it, but I assume it would have been very expensive. And Salt Lake City actually apparently only has one five-star hotel. Uh, so I bet that one's pr- pretty up there. I, I didn't want to spend too much on the hotel. I already had to spend uh, a hefty amount on the plane ticket, even though it was two months in advance, because I had pretty, you know... St- strict stipulations of what times I wanted to leave. Um, So I spent my money there, saved a little bit. I stayed at a Sheridan, you know, solid hotel, but nothing like, you know, nothing over the top. Um, It's not the Ritz. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Uh, You know, it was a mile. It was half a mile or so, maybe a mile from the the arena. So I was able to walk. What was the... I was going to say, what was the weather like? Were you able to walk? There was no snow? Because yeah. I know the Denver area is getting pummeled right now. The, so. There was snow on Monday as I was leaving. I could see it from the airport, okay. but my flight left perfectly fine. Uh, but the, the entire weekend was actually nice. It was about the same weather that I would have expected in Roanoke. You know, I, I didn't bring a super heavy winter coat. I brought, like, my next step down, my sort of heavy jacket, uh, because it's just easier to travel with. And that was perfectly fine the entire time. Even during the day, it was kind of too much. Uh, so great weather all weekend. Uh, Jazz won both games. I actually sat in the upper bowl one game and the lower bowl the other. Um, and the upper bowl was sweet. I was surprised. Like the, I've always heard that the the Jazz Arena is a little bit steeper, so that the upper bowl feels a little bit closer to the action. You're sort of on top of things, and it really did feel like that. You know, I, I sat there, and that was the night Donald Mitchell had a, a really sick alley oop, and I got to see this aerial view of it. Uh, so that that was sweet. Uh, what? Jazz still sucked, by the way. <laughs> what? It was against my Pelicans. Yes. Uh, went to a few nice bars, had some uh, some really good meals. I know I 
I was messaging you when I went to the Mexican restaurant and had a really, really good mole. Yeah, Ross, Ross sends me a text message. I think it was like, uh, I'm trying to think of the time. It was like two in the afternoon, I think, when you sent it. Two-ish, three-ish? No, it was, a little, it was like four on, our, on Friday. Okay. I try to remember like which which uh, time zone you're in. So it was like it was like four o'clock in the afternoon, and Ross is like, "There's a thirty minute wait or whatever <laughs> yeah. at four o'clock in the afternoon." This this bodes well for this yes, restaurant, and indeed it did. <laughs> yeah, that's what I say. That's a good one. Uh, I'm sorry that the uh, caliber player was a little down on the weekend. Like, I know you really wanted to see Favors coming back to Utah, and like he didn't play. And then you have no what idea. Was the other team was a gold. Was it Golden State, right? So, like, Golden State just decimated. Yeah. Like, they have nobody. I, I saw this back-to-back, and I, I booked the ticket in September, so even before the season started. And I said, you know what? Like, Clay Thompson's not there, but I'll get to see Draymond, Steph, and uh, D'Angelo Russell on Golden State. And I'll get to see Zion Williamson and Derek Favors, and it was going to be Favors' first game back after being traded last season to New Orleans. So, all five of those players were injured. Right. And... Yeah, so you went 0 for 5. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, you know, I got to see a little Drew Holiday, a little, uh, you know, a, a I won't say resurgent Brandon Ingram, but a surgeant, you know, for the first time. Yeah, a breakout Brandon yeah, he's Ingram. Like staying on the court. Uh, yeah, he's staying and, on the court. And just being awesome. Blood clots. I mean, I watched him make two real tough turnarounds, but they were both from the exact same spot. It was like clear that that was the spot he was comfortable in. And when I saw the turnaround happen, I was like, that's a brick. And he just fucking swished both of them. <laughs> it was... Kid's got some talent. <laughs> yeah, no, he he was good. So both games were fun. Jazz were up by twenty, and both of them won by under ten both times. So they get, sort of tried to give me a heart attack. Yeah, like I can't decide what I like better when I go to games. It's like, you know, you got to you know see me like watch or not see me, but you just, you got to see me do like text updates when LSU was playing Alabama, which is like you know technically like a national title game almost, especially this year, and like. It's like, yeah, you kind of want to just be like up 30 and not have to worry about anything. But like the close games are, you know, it makes you feel alive. You know, you get that adrenaline like it's a, it's a good game. Like it's it's way more entertaining, you know, that kind of stuff. So I, I want to see those games if Utah is playing someone good, but playing right. against, you know, uh, a the Golden State Warriors bench. <laughs> that should not be close. It's 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 a D league team. Let's be yeah. Honest. And then you know the, the New Orleans team, a little bit better, but obviously without Zion, without favors. But the Jazz were also without Rudy Gobert, who sprained his ankle the night before. Uh, so that was a little bit more like okay, you're on the second night of a back to back too. Uh, if that game is a little bit close, that's fine. Uh, but the Golden State game, like that one, should have been a, a complete blowout. Yeah, maybe you know they just played to the opposition a little bit. You know, took it easy. You know, kind of thing. You never know. I mean, they went they went up twenty, got a little sloppy. Golden State played pretty well. You know, for the the players that they had, they certainly played above their level. And then like you know stuff like that happens in the NBA. You know, the the game the, the Jazz still never were trailing in the second half. So you know that it did get to the point where they were, where it was a, a three point game with Golden State's ball with like thirty seconds left. So they had a shot, but that like you know blew it on the last possession. So. Gotcha, gotcha. How was the trip back? Was everything fine and easy and everything worked out? I, I landed 20 minutes early. <laughs> nice. Despite leaving in, in the middle of a snowstorm, you know, I, I got some work done on the plane, which I rarely do, uh, but it was actually like, pretty comfortable on the plane. So, yeah, everything was great. I always have that, too. I'm always like, you know what? I'm going to, like, back when I was writing for a website, I was like, I'm going to write my article on this website or, like, I'm going to get this reading done. And I'm like... No, I'm just gonna watch this movie. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. Maybe order a drink uh, or two. <laughs> you know. Yeah. So I actually made it productive. So it was a good trip back, and uh, you know, just uh, just a fun trip to have. 
away from things, a little cha- change of scenery. I'd never been to Salt Lake City, even for like a Magic tournament, much less gone to, you know, the uh, Jazz Arena for a game. Awesome. I heard uh, your weekend, or, or I guess beginning of this week, was also somewhat eventful. Yeah, so it was uh, stressful, I think is the right word to put it. So I'm 35, right? I graduated from college in like, I don't, I don't even know. Like, Bill, yeah, Ross is doing math right now. Y'all, got, y'all can't see this, but Ross is literally counting. On Carry the, the two. <laughs> yeah. So I graduated, you like, were born in the 17th century. Yes, exactly. So I graduated a long time ago, and... Besides uh, tests in uh, my American Sign Language classes that I take, like, because I'm learning uh, another language, and it's just it's just different, you know, like, this felt like an actual exam uh, that you would take in college. I was taking a licensing exam um, for the job that uh, I've been kind of, like, uh, I'm not, like, officially in the door, but I'm officially in the door. You know, it's, it's hard to say. Like, I hadn't signed my contract yet. And um, I took the test Monday night, and... The only place that I could get one where I could get a, uh, I could actually get in for the testing, it was in New Orleans. So I had to drive an hour, an hour and fifteen minutes to go to this test. So that's like another nerve wracking part to it because if you don't show up in your specific time window, you just do not get to take the test, and you like lose your like eighty dollars or whatever it is, or you know like blah blah blah. So it's pretty cool. They like they bring you in this room and it's like really professional. They have somebody like waiting for you with like everything. Uh, you have to take a picture, uh, you have to do like fingerprints, like prove it's you. I, have to, I had to bring my my license and my passport. And they make you fill out this whole thing and they give you this giant bag and they like put everything that you have with you in the bag, like your wallet, your phone, everything. They lock it, hand it to you. They let you bring it into the thing with you, but you know, they lock it or whatever. So I'll go in. Your shoes, your belt, yeah. it's like the TSA. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's like they, they gave me the pat down, you know, no. So... You go in and it's like uh, it looks like the typical cubicle place you'd go to it. Like you would think it like, uh, you know, like uh, like uh, kind of like a like a, an IT department, you know, just like all these little cubicles with a bunch of computers okay. right? or a college library. Maybe. Right. Yeah. College library. Very good way to put it. So they're like, all right, you're at, you know, number one or whatever. So uh, I go in there and well, what, what number were you at? I actually was at number one. So, oh. Okay. So it's so it already boded off well because like I've never been the number one ever like an SCG open you know the joke about you know we're, we're aware <laughs> yeah, yeah the, the the typical joke Tana never wins but so um you get there you get to the desk and they have like a piece of paper a pencil earplugs or like noise cancellation headphones they had like this thing is like they are ready for you you know what I mean so I put the headphones on because there was like a there was a decent bit of people in there you know I, I was in there with like fifteen other people and I took the test. And honestly, I was a little worried getting towards the end of the test because I studied my ass off for this thing and was like ready and was like crushing the uh, practice test. I don't know if you and saw. You don't it. have much of an ass to begin with. Yeah, so, exactly. You know that, that's a major sacrifice. <laughs> oh man, if my wife heard you say that, but uh, <laughs> I'm thinking of. Did you see my uh, my Twitter post of me posting a score that I had on one of my practice exams? It's like 84.6 yeah, it was <laughs> and like, you needed 85. You needed 85. I was like, oh, come on. <laughs> like, you know, or whatever. But, uh, so, but I, I crushed it the other couple times I took it. And, uh, you know, like you take the test and it's like, you know, 200 questions on the practice exam out of like 800 that they have. Or whatever. So I just took it like, you know, four or five times to kind of get through everything. So I took the exam. Towards the end of it, I was a little worried. Uh, you know, there's a bunch of stuff on it that, uh, A, I wasn't prepared for. You know, I was like, I didn't expect this to be on the test or I didn't study this enough or be like, I was like, well, you know, common sense kind of like tells me this is probably the answer or I, I can 50 50 this. So 
I got done with it, and when I hit, like, submit, I did the thing where, like, you know, you kind of, like, you know, turn your head a little to the side, you don't want to look, you, like, you hit the button, and, like, nothing pops up, and they're just, like, you're... <laughs> you're, you're holding your hand over your eyes, yeah. and it's just, like... Ugh. Yeah. Oh, God, please make it. So I click it, and the computer just, like, goes, all right, you're done, like, you know, you could leave this... And I'm, like, what? Or whatever, so I had to, like, go out, and had to, like, give all the stuff to the lady, get her to unplug my thing, or whatever, and I'm just, like... So are y'all just going to, like, email my email me my results or whatever? And she goes, oh, well, that's my bad. I'm supposed to do this because I, I beat everybody else. I, I finished way, way quicker than everybody else. And she, like, turns, looks at the computer, and just rips the Band-Aid right off, right? Like, no preamble. She goes, yeah, you passed. You know, just like, I was like, oh, thank God. You know, like, <laughs> like or whatever. It's like, that makes the drive home a lot better because I'll tell you this right now. If I failed that test and I had to reschedule it, that drive home was going to be miserable. Oh, right? yeah. You know, it was an hour and 15-minute ride home. And so... <clears throat> I was gonna say we're getting your, pretty. Your proctor must not be a magic player. They didn't <laughs> slow roll you at all. Yeah. Well, you need this. I'm a little this. disappointed. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. You need this score. You know, or whatever. But I just realized <laughs> we were about 13 minutes in this episode yet. We haven't talked about magic at all, and I love it. But uh, perfect. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Um. But yeah. So like, I passed the exam. Uh, I went into work today. Like, started signing all the contracts. You know, obviously, like when you work at a place like this, like I've been working with a lot of financial stuff. Um, the stacks of, it's like, or Ross can see my hands. It's like this giant stack of stuff. Plus I have stuff online. I have to go get fingerprinted again and like all this stuff. And it's, it's down across the whole state of Louisiana right now because the DMV got like hacked or something in Louisiana. So like there's all this, you know, this crazy stuff going on and, and it's Thanksgiving. So I'll probably have it all done by like Monday next week. And then we'll go from there. I don't know. I, I, we'll, we'll see. I have to go through like a pretty big training process, but hopefully it's all worth it at the end. You know, this job is pretty great. So I'm excited. Awesome. Well, congratulations. Um, thank you very much. I was very proud of myself. And, you know, it's been, I got to say this, especially like in our culture nowadays, when you can, when you have the moment to be, you have the opportunity to have a moment where you're like genuinely happy and proud of yourself, you know, it feels really good. Yeah. You should take advantage. Yeah. Like I got home, uh, cracked a bottle of champagne with my wife, did like a little cheers. Ross gave me one. He like sent me a, a, a photo on the thing because he was having some wine at a bar and he was like, hey. Yeah. I was at the airport. You want to know how much that glass of wine costs? Hold on. Let me guess. I'm going to say $18. It was $14.50 before tax and tip. Okay. So I left the guy, I left the guy 20 and just walked yeah, away. Yeah, here you go. Yeah, that's usually how I roll it too. I was like, here you go. Like I, I, I was expecting 11 and it came fourteen fiftieth. Well, you, you, you had a red. Me. You had a red. Red's a, generally a little more expensive than white. So I had a, I had a Pinot Noir. Uh, okay, nice, nice. I was gonna say I like that more with food myself. Uh, if I'm just like sipping on stuff, I'm I don't know. Anyway, I'm, uh, I'm exploring different wines. It was literally like the first Pinot Noir I probably ever had in my life. It was good though. I liked it. You liked it? Okay. Sometimes it get a little buttery yeah. for me. But anyway, this is not what we're talking about. I'm not a sommelier, so we'll figure this stuff out later. So <laughs> that's anyway. your next challenge. <laughs> yeah, it's my next challenge. I need to get my sommelier license or whatever it's uh, whatever it's called, but uh, sort of certification maybe. Uh, I don't know. Sure. But anyway, so uh, Pioneer, there there's there's some magic going on, and there's another going- kind of wine. Yeah, exactly, right? That's, is that another certification you're getting? You're is that, is that rosé or white or... Uh, it's like a Zinfandel, but no. Uh, <laughs> so, anyway, uh, there was... While there were no big tournaments this weekend, you know, like nothing was broadcast, we didn't have the NV or anything like that, there's a lot of information coming in right now for Pioneer. We have had a ton of PTQs. There's one every day this week while we're talking about it. In fact, there's a top eight getting played right now. Uh, there's a big name player in the top eight. We can, we can get to that in a little bit. I kind of like slow roll everybody. You know, we like the magic players, like the slow rolls. But correct me if I'm wrong, but looking at all the information lately, and especially of the last, like, let's say seven days or everything's been condensing, you know, because we're in a lot of PTQs, so people are going to be like really bringing, you know, the heavy hitters of the format, the best decks. 
it feels to me like it's a dual deck right now going on in Pioneer. And that's Field of the Dead versus Mono Black Aggro. I completely agree. You know, following the Invitational, it looked like we had a three deck format, right? Or sort of three categories. There was the Mono Black Aggro deck, the Field of the Dead decks, and then the green, you know, uh, mana creature decks. Stompy-ish. Yeah, whether they be Simic Stompy, Green Devotion, or Hardened Scales. And in the last week, the green decks have really fallen off. Oh, absolutely. It's almost, it's actually surprising how little we see in them. In fact, like you and I were talking about this, uh, this number, if you look at the PTQ that were like the specific one that we were looking at, that we're using as an example. So, um, X, the X2 bracket or better goes all the way down to 26 place at this event. Right. So out of those 26 decks, 24, uh, I'm sorry, 21 of them are either mono black or field variants. Uh, that's, you know, Bant or Golgari. So 11 mono black and some form of 10 of Bant or Golgari combined. So that means five other decks made X2 or better in this PTQ. And that is a very small percentage when you start looking at this format. The other five decks, if you're interested, Simic Stompy, Simic Nexus, Green Devotion. All right, so we've got a little bit of a green deck there with that one. Is it in Soul and Black White Vehicles, a deck that we're going to talk about just a little bit later in the show too? But this this is getting this is getting interesting, right? Like you 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 have a two deck format. It looks like almost. yeah, no, it definitely seems that way. Um, you know, w- right after the initial round of bands, you know, Leyline of Abundance, Oath, and Felidar Guardian, people still were gravitating towards those green decks. And they had the pedigree from the week before. It feels weird to talk about one week of, you know, leagues being a pedigree, but that's how Pioneer is working. And, you know, Todd Anderson was continuing to crush. Uh, he's actually now, I guess, from his tweet last night, asking people, like, why shouldn't I play Mono Black? I think he's off the green decks. He played Mono Black today, actually. I watched yeah. him stream. Yeah. So uh, it seems like, you know, people were on that early and the decks are, you know, they're pretty good, but people have figured out how to beat them. And, you know, sometimes it takes a couple of weeks. Uh, you know, you could say, like, maybe some of the bands were premature. We didn't really ever see how the fully powered Green Devotion deck or the Cat deck plays against the, the Mono Black deck. Though, that the Mono Black Aggro deck won a PTQ the day before the bands, right? That was the weekend before. Right. So, right. at least in that tournament, it seemed like it could contend there. Uh, so, maybe you can say those bands were premature. But it certainly seems like... We have adjusted to the green decks, the metagame is adjusted, and, you know, the black decks sort of get underneath them and have good removal for their, you know, bigger creatures, whereas the field decks say, like, no, you can't really race me, and I go over the top of you with this powerful Field of the Dead endgame. Uh, and now the green decks are just sort of awkwardly caught in the middle. They're, like, not really fast enough to keep up with mono black and not really powerful enough to keep up in the late game with field of the dead. And so they're not really great against either. And as a result, then, you know, they've fallen off. Yeah. And the point you were making before the show that you and I were talking about that I loved is we've got a clear two best colors in this format right now. Right. And it's green and black. And so you're seeing the mono black deck and the green black deck just kind of rise to the top because of cards like you mentioned, you know, like thought sees abrupt decay, uh, fatal push legions. in. it has the best answers, but also, you can be proactive with these. Like you see the mono black deck with like Thoughtseize and Fatal Push. All it has to do is interact just enough. Like one Thoughtseize or one Fatal Push is enough a lot of times for it to finish, you know, with killing you because it's got, it fits in that one piece of uh, removal or that one piece of interaction along with playing all of its threats, you know? And so it's in a really good, yeah, it's in a really good spot there. It can run you down. And then like you said, the green black decks, like they just hold on long enough 
these green black fields, which is like the new version of field that's kind of been coming out. Uh, we saw we saw Kane, you know, win the mocks at like nine zero or whatever with the green black field deck. And I gotta say, I was kind of feeling it right before that happened. I was like, yo, I think this might be the best deck. I think this might be the best deck. And then I watched him stream, and I was like, it's a joke. <laughs> this deck's so good. Like, because he was beating mono black, and that's the biggest thing. You know, it's like. You, you can beat the decks that were the decks to beat, you know, like Mono Green, Devotion, and these in the in these, these Simic Stompy decks, but then you're also beating the best deck in Mono Black, right? And so these decks are great. And also, you know, you talked about these other green decks kind of falling off the cliff. And I got to say this, it's innocuous, but I got to say a lot of the blame has to go with Blight Beetle. This card that's showing up in sideboards is like a two or three of, like a lot of these decks, like if you look at Mono Green, Devotion, or the Scales deck that we talked about, you know, how big was that Scales deck going to the Invitational? Uh, Vivian was like a hundred dollars. You know, you could not find the, you could not find the card. Now people can't unload the damn thing because like the scales deck is just it's non-existent because of this freaking one one for two mana that just like shuts your entire deck down. Yeah, I mean we we looked through it. There's Piner. There's a Piner challenge from the weekend and the PTQ from Monday of this week. That's top thirty two of both of them. Sixty four decks, zero copies of Hardened Scales, zero, literal nil, null zero. And I, I completely agree. I, th- I think finding the best shells for these removal, uh, these like good disruption packages, whether it's removal or discard or both, and putting them in these aggressive shells, these proactive shells, uh, I should say, has worked out so much better than the initial forays, which were that Sultai midrange deck. That deck was looking to go over the top with this sort of uh, accumulative, uh, accumulative card advantage from Dig Through Time, Corsair Crucifix, Tireless Tracker, things like that. And, you know, Honestly, like in 2019 in Magic, you want to be looking for things that are a little bit more powerful than that. You want to be looking for things that create an engine, things that don't, don't you know require you to keep chaining dig into dig into dig to keep going. Once you have Field of the Dead online, every single land you draw is doing something powerful, and every single spell you draw is doing something powerful. So you just have you never have any bad draws. And you're always, you know, getting somewhere really good in a reasonable time frame once you surround it with the ramp cards and the good removal and good discard. And then the mono black deck is like, you know, it's putting you under a lot of pressure. It's killing you by turn four or five on its best draws, but also can play this end game and also is pretty consistent and has this good disruption. And it's finding sort of the best of every single world. And it took us a little while to get there, uh, admittedly. And, and now we sort of, now we just have. And the question now becomes like, how do we react to these decks? And I think this week is going to give us a lot of data as to whether or not, you know, we can or if we need bans. You know, you talked about Blight Beetle being this, you know, Stone Cold Cyborg card against the green decks. Is there a Stone Cold Cyborg card against Field or Mono Black or both? Yeah, and so like that's the thing is, is like you're you're having cards that are like, are they ubiquitous? Like Legion's End does a good job in both these matches. Virulent Plague as well. I mean, yeah, Virulent Plague, uh, n- not as much. Like, Virulent Plague is not as good against, like, Mono Black Aggro, sure. but, like, you but have, like, you know, one that's good against Eel. both. Yeah, and then you have, like, Bile Blight has been showing up a little bit as a yep. card that, you know, it can kill Copter in combat or before it attacks, obviously, and then, you know, there's things like that. But, honestly, you're starting to see, you know, some stuff like that happen, but you're also starting to see what usually happens when decks like this happen, when you get down to, like, the one and two deck formats where they start to get, like, homogenized and, like, inbred and, like, they start trying to prey on each other. Like... Uh, there's a top eight going on right now. We kind of alluded to this earlier. Zan Zayed is in the top eight with uh, I I don't know if he's lost or won in his top eight match. It's it's going on right now, and so he's playing the green black field deck. And his the way that he approached this tournament, he is pre boarded almost completely against mono black aggro. Like his deck has just a ton of removal yeah. in the main, right? And he cut thoughtsies. Yeah, and he cut thoughtsies, and then he has all that From stuff. The main. 
Yeah, and he has all that stuff in the sideboard, so he's just been losing game ones. But his his, his sideboard is that, plus he's got this giant Eldrazi package. Have you seen this? He has four. I have not. He has, this is something that I talked about doing. Um, I talked about this in our Discord. Um, he's just Wait, hold on. Does he, does he have four of the six-mana one that exiles cards from the top of their deck and takes our lands? Oblivion Sower, yes. Yeah. Yeah, so he's oh, got that. that is and nice world, and world breakers just to get even more just 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 going off because here's the thing yeah you ex- you world breaker them and exile their field of the dead and then sower them and then take it and yes oh oh that is nice yeah it oh. is re- i actually i actually here's the funny part i saw this like i just I need, saw i need a minute i need a minute yeah, you guys can't see this right now ross is literally fanning himself in in his match but to tell you how much i liked it when I saw it today, like it was something that I was already thinking about. And you, you may have heard me like allude to this on shows earlier. I uh, I saw Zan do it in one match. Like, I saw him do it, saw him bring the cards in. Before I even saw him draw his opening hand, I went to TCG player and ordered the day of cards. I like have four <laughs> blended sewers and stuff coming myself because I was like, I was, like they're 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 like dirt cheap right yeah. now, you know. But it's a mythic, so it could randomly spike to like five dollars. Yeah. Game recognized game. Yeah, exactly. So I went ahead and got this and like, so this is a pretty cool thing. So I know a lot of people don't like some formats when there's only like one or two decks to play. You know, I'm thinking of standard, you know, what, three weeks ago when it was just all the food variants. But there's a lot of people talk about there's some cool stuff that goes on there because single card choices start to matter so much. You know, like little bitty things like do I play Bioblight? Do I play Legions? And do like, what do I play as my removal kind of stuff? So, you know, we're talking about that. Like these, these are cards that are super important in, in your in your builds and like could be winning or losing you a lot of matches in this format because you have a clear best two decks and if you play like a seven or eight round tournament you're going to play against them four or five times like that is just going to happen and so you need to be prepared for that and so like there's maybe some other cards that have kind of popped up like i've seen some people talking about like red decks possibly like you play uh like a red green version maybe of field of the dead and you can play uh, what's the sewing salt card? I literally just blanked out the 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 new one that's crumble to red. dust. Devo- yeah, yeah, crumble to dust. Like people talk about playing those, which it does work with Oblivion Sour. <laughs> yeah, and I mean you can you can you can splash that in a Golgari list too if you want to. You know, these are the things that we need to be talking about. The, the Pioneer is now becoming a more mature metagame. And, and in those sorts of mature metagames, you need to be looking at the nitty gritty and the little things that you can do to adjust to what everyone else is doing. I think that that Eldrazi package is a great example. Worldbreaker sounds great to me. You know, not only against the mirror, I think it's a solid card to have in your deck even against Mono Black. Because most of the time, yeah, you kill a mutavault, block yeah. a block a copter, yeah. or, or like exile copter, block a. Um, Block, block rankle or whatever <laughs> like you, you in the model from the model black side you end the game against field of the dead with your flyers and so if they stabilize the ground and then deal with your flyers game's over that's one of the reasons that i think ormondal was so good because it gives you a way to you know, stabilize the air uh but Worldbreaker does that as well while also being really good in the mirror um you know oblivion sower just sort of contributes to that mostly for the mirror but that one's not so good against model black um and then in model black there have been a few a few updates, a few tweaks. I know Kellen Pastor has been championing Fourth Bridge Prowler and to start spawn, and Spawn of Mayhem as well. Yes, Sorry. both these two cards. Fourth Bridge Prowler, you know, single black for a one-one. When it enters the battlefield, a creature target creature gets minus one minus one until end of turn. Seems like it's going to be really good against mana creatures like the you know Lanwarls and Elvish Mystic. They're still around, not as much as they used to be, but seems like solid in the mono black mirror. Uh, probably just better than Disfigure at this point. 
Um, I know like, I played Disfigure at the Invitational. I did use it as a combat trick in a couple matchups, but Fourth Bridge Prowler is definitely something I would try out uh, in those spots and and see how Cruise they do. Copter. Yeah, yeah. Cruise Cru- Copter, obviously important. Spawn of Mayhem, though, I think sounds great. I was I was surprisingly disappointed with Rankle at the Invitational. Uh, I know I was very happy with the card when I initially started testing out the Mono Black deck. And then at the Invitational, it just didn't do a whole lot. Um, you know, it, its main, you know, uh, benefit was just being a 3-3 flying haste. The, the triggered ability w- w- was sort of, you know, uh, didn't matter as much. Yeah. So if I'm just worried about evasive stats, Spawn of Mayhem scores a lot better. You know, it's a point bigger. It has that little extra bit of reach. Sometimes it gets bigger itself. Uh, and costs, you generally cost one less mana. Uh, so you're, you're, you're talking about a significant upgrade there. Uh, also, just a bigger flyer than smuggler's copter. So it can attack into copters. It can block them. So, you know, if you're on the play and they have a copter on turn two and you're like attacking, maybe they don't want to play in, you know, activate uh, or crew into fatal push. So you get to get that free attack uh, on an easy bluff and then play uh spawn of mayhem. Like they can't really attack their fatal push probably doesn't kill spawn before you attack. Maybe they have to spend their entire turn three, you know, swift ending it. And that that's a reasonable, you know, trade that sometimes you're going to make, and that's the best case scenario for them. So I think Spawn of Mayhem is great. That's a card I would try in high numbers. Like, I would just cut Rankle entirely and try three or four <laughs> try three or four spawns. Um, cut, cut the Darl Starhead yeah. or whatever, the extra one drop. Just play four spawn. That's that's my next thing with that deck, is I'll just see how far that card is. Yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of it. It's another, you know, just big, dumb idiot in the matchups that you need it to be. You know, it's a big body. Plus, like, it flies over zombies. Yeah. You know, the field of dead matchup, so it can get that matchup over. Uh, usually get them under I, 10 I pretty got, quickly, or you under 10. When, yeah, when does absolutely. it get a counter? It's, I think it's when you have 10 or less. It's, light okay, that's a little bit less relevant. Like, you're you, like the the player controlling yeah. spawning okay. me. I'm like, I'm on it. But sometimes, sometimes it'll happen. I don't know. Maybe you thought season a million times. And so I have Callan's, uh, Callan's desk, uh, Mr. Pastor's deck pulled up here. Uh, I'm a big fan of his, by the way. If, if anybody hasn't heard of this guy or like doesn't follow him on Twitter, you should do yourself a favor and look him up, maybe give him a follow. Very insightful player, very, very good. I've played him multiple times in Magic. You and I have played against him multiple times yeah. in uh, team events. He is, uh, he, and, he, uh, he's, he's a very sort of soft-spoken opponent. He just sort of goes about his business. But that, and he just straight murders yeah, you. <laughs> but it makes him really intimidating because like, he just never gives you an inch. And he's always prepared. Yeah, I'm looking at his deck list right now, too, and we see a little more of that. We, start, we started talking about earlier with the Field of the Dead decks. He's got a little bit of the, the like, homage, you know, the 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 kind of inbred thing going on here. I could not speak for a second. I apologize. But he's got, you know, the fourth bridge prowlers we're talking about. But if you look in his sideboard, he's got Dark Betrayal and Infernal Reckoning. Now, in the mirror, these cards are absurd. Like, Dark Betrayal obviously just kills all of the colored creatures in the matchup. So it's like your extra copies of Fatal Push, but you don't have to turn them on for Revolt to kill Wrinkle or Spawn of Mayhem. super important. And super important. And it only costs one mana, exactly oh. like Infernal Reckoning, which if anybody doesn't also know, also kills Kalidus in the in the oh, cyber yeah, games. Oh yeah, very big point. Probably yeah, one of the yeah, most important points because you have to kill it. Yeah, and then I like Infernal Reckoning a lot. So Infernal Reckoning, I think it exiles a, a colorless creature. Is that right? It exiles it, and then you gain life equal to its power. Power, right? So here's the important thing. So like that's pretty cool, right? It, it kills Scrappy Scrounger. It kills Smuggler's Copter. Like that's good enough for me. It also kills Mutavault. Yeah, I was gonna get there. So you're looking at twelve good targets for this card, but it also is a good racing card, you know. So this card's very good. And the important part of both these cards, they cost one mana at our instance. If you've ever played a matchup like this where it's like creatures and just removal spells, 
if you cast more one mana interaction than your opponent, you are going to win. Like, that is just how the game works. It plays really well with Castle Lockwain. It allows you to be very aggressive with drawing extra cards. It's that you gain extra life, plus, like, you, you have a mana or two left over a lot of the times. Big fan of the changes that yeah, he made. This is uh, Kel Master P, if you want that username. The first place in the Pioneer Challenge, if you want to look at the stack list. Uh, definitely. That's a great name, by yeah. the way. Definitely looks uh, looks def- really good to me. I think, you know, important to tune your deck for a much more narrow metagame. We've been talking for the last month that Pioneer is pretty wide open, and that's no longer the case. You know, it's a, it's quite narrow right now. Uh, people are really all in on Mono Black and Field of the Dead, so you might as well come prepared for those matchups and be prepared to play against them two-thirds of the time, probably, in your tournaments. All right, I'm going to ask you this then. If you think that's the case, next week we, we get a we get a we get a fresh Monday. This is not one of the ones where they said they're going to let you know let it ride. Another another lunchtime uh, extravaganza at the Rent and Applebee's. Yeah, as I was say, Applebee's. Uh, what's the what's the funny one? The uh, the never ending pasta bowl or whatever. Uh, they, Olive Garden. Every, yeah, yeah, Olive Garden. So uh, I got to ask Ross, do you see something? getting the ban hammer next week possibly i i would not be surprised between you know I, same i think they're the two obvious targets are field of the dead and smuggler's copter um those are the two cards that make these respective decks tick uh they're very obviously powerful in you know a clear way we've seen them across multiple formats now be problematic uh whether it be standard or their respective standard environments or pioneer so i, I wouldn't i'll say i wouldn't be surprised that said, I think there's a couple reasons to be a little bit more reticent with this round than Wizards was with the first round of Felder Guardian Leyline Oath. Uh, the first, and I think most important, is that from my side looking at these decks, they just aren't as overtly powerful as that first round of bands. When you watched the Leyline Green Devotion deck fully powered and what it was doing and doing consistently, I think it was pretty clear to anyone that has been around the block in competitive magic that that just wasn't okay. They were casting turn two Nisses, turn three, like, you know, turn four absurd, absurd things way too often and through disruption too. And that was a problem. Same, and then the, the, the cat combo deck, like, it was just a functional good mid-range deck with this incredible splinter twin combo. You could end the game on turn four. Uh, you know, the green decks were functionally ending the game on t- turn four. They were literally ending the game on turn four. You know, that, that was a problem. That's not happening with either of these decks. So that at a, at a fundamental power level, um, or from a fundamental power level perspective, these are a step below. The second reason I think we should be a little bit more reticent is that it's clear now that maybe we were a little too hasty the first time. And yeah, I, I agree. That's, that's with a couple weeks, maybe we would have found more blight beetles in the metagame and the mono black deck might've contended a little bit better, even with fully powered green decks. Um, you know, even with how powerful they were. Uh, and, and maybe we could have, the metagame might've adapted. Maybe, you know, maybe you still would have had to ban some things, but maybe, maybe Oath of Nyssa, for example, could have stayed. And we would have just said, you know what, like the most powerful draws are problematic. Let's get rid of Leyline and Guardian, uh, or maybe even just Leyline. Like the the green decks were apparently doing a lot better on Magic Online than, than the cat decks. Uh, so uh, I think it you know it behooves us to you know especially with how the green decks were so popular even after the ban and how they've now been adjusted to 
that we should at least give some time to adjust to these decks because they aren't so just in your face powerful. The mono black aggro deck is eminently fair. It's just it's very, playing very creatures. Good. Yeah, yeah, it's just very consistent. It generates a lot of you know value, uh, and it while you know still being pretty fast and its cards are pretty powerful, but nothing is over the top about that deck. Uh, you know, Smuggler's Copter is, is flirting with that line, uh, but nothing is over the top about it. So I'd like to see, you know, l- let's see the results of this week. It, it might be overwhelming. And I, I think that there's some part of me that thinks the Magic community is a little bit more um, prone to these homogenous metagames than it was maybe five or ten years ago. I think there's more people that are just like, I'm playing the best deck than there were back then as a mindset. I think that has to do with us being a little bit better at magic as a community. We're breaking it much faster for sure. And and we're, and we're admitting that we're breaking it and saying, you know what, this is broken. I'm just playing the deck and figuring out the mirror faster before. Like people were a lot more obstinate back then. It's like, you know what? I'm going to figure out how to beat this deck. There's a lot less of people now, you know? Yeah, that was me. I was really bad about that. And and that, that might screw up with the way we do bands. Um, and, and maybe we have to give it a little bit more time now. Uh, because there are fewer people really working on the problem. But the, these decks don't jump out to me as nearly as problematic as that first set of bands. Uh, and I really, I'm, I'm going to have to look at this, you know, this week of results. We're going to have a ton of Pioneer PTQs. There's one basically every day. So we're going to have a ton of data for next week's show. I want to at least be able to look at that week of data and take a little while to chew over it. I'm not sure if I want to react immediately on that Monday. And I also want to give the, you know, the community maybe a week to react to it. So honestly, the earliest I'd like to see more bands for the format is two weeks from now. So not uh, not the Monday after Thanksgiving, but early December, you know, we don't really have any big paper tournaments coming up that you have to worry about. It's just more like online leagues and stuff. I think you can afford to give the community a little bit more time here. I, you know what? I got to agree to like almost a hundred (laughs) percent. Like to most points, I like, well, I like the you know, almost. I like the almost. Well, the thing is, I, I, all of your points are good and valid and just right. I think you know, like it, it, as much as you can just be correct with opinions. You sure. know what I mean? But I, I would say this: if if you had to ban something, like if you had to change something, I think I would hit something out of the field of the dead decks before I hit the mono black deck. Because I, I agree with you. I think inherently the mono black deck is quote unquote fair. It's just it's the best aggro deck. And there's nothing wrong with that. That is actually good for formats. You need to have like that check. The Field of the Dead decks, I think, constrain the format more than the Mono Black does. I agree. And so, like, I think that when you, if you were to band, I don't know, the, the card Field of the Dead, or do you, you know, because like the thing is, is like if you keep banning the symptoms, sometimes you don't always get rid of the problem. We've seen this in the past of stuff like Hogak and stuff like that. You know, they try to ban cards around like, do you ban Hour of Promise type thing? By the way, I ordered some of those last week too. I just got them in the mail. I'm super excited, <laughs> but uh, can't wait to make zombies. But uh, but the important thing is, it's like I just want the format. To, I think this format is great. Like honestly, like you know, we may. I try not to have the negative tone when we talk about bans. I think this format is great. I think this format has the potential to be absurdly great like you and i have talked i think off the show i don't know if we said this on the air that i think within the next year like within the 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 calendar year of 2020 that pioneer becomes the most popular format in magic supplanting uh competitive format in magic let me let me put that yeah in there sorry commander players uh not not sorry at all (laughs) yeah i i am i I played a couple games of commander last week and i had a good time anyway i I, uh, I, I believe you that you're not sorry that you're sorry I'm not. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. But 
uh, like it just like blanked on the point that I tried, but it's just I think we're like, Pioneer's going to surpass Modern as the most popular yes. and competitive Magic format, and I agree. In, in by the end of next year, yeah, I think it's going to be obscenely, obscenely powerful. Uh, I'm sorry, it's obscenely popular. Uh, a lot more affordable than Modern is, even though we're you know we're seeing some of these cards get to pretty obscene numbers on on, on uh, cards, but that's just the way the game works. But I mean, you're looking at decks that are costing half of what a lot of the. I mean, have you looked at what like the Simic Urza deck costs in Modern? I'm just lucky I have that deck, you know, that I have those cards. But like, it's absurd. What, it's like two thousand dollars now. I don't think it's two thousand. I think it's I think it's in four digits. I would guess four digits because of the lands. But like, there's a lot of commons in that deck too. And stuff. And Gilded Goose is not as expensive as you'd think, you know, kind of thing. But. Um, also, like Cryptic Command is random. MTG Goldfish says sixteen fourteen. See, that surprises me. I would have guessed like twelve tops, but I think you could probably find it for less than that. Obviously, too. But anyway, but you're looking at decks that are like a third of that price. You know, you're looking for like a few hundred. Like somebody at my store the other day, I watched them come in, trade in cards and stuff to to make them, and just got the mono black deck. You know what I mean? They were like, hey, it was like two weeks ago. They saw your deck. And they heard me talk about it. like, what's the best deck? And I was like, well, Ross is playing this at the Invitational right now. I think it's the best deck. You know, I was like, mono black. And he's like, all right, that's all I need to know. And he went up and just, you know, got the whole deck. I think it cost him like $300 total. Like, just everything. Including, like, he got more than 75 cards. You know, it was like, hey, you might want to get this and this. Like, you know, to switch things around. And that's at, like, storefront prices. Like, you're getting everything max. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so everything was like, re- like you know, thoughts he's just doubled, you know. Over, yeah, over that deck's up to so. four or 500 bucks but, now. Yeah, exactly. So he, he's actually made money on the transaction if you were to, you know, do whatever. So um, I, I do say this, you know, I, I do like the idea of maybe waiting a week or two, giving us a chance to kind of uh, figure it out a little more. You know, we're, we're starting to see people, you know, play cards. We're seeing like Virulent Plague and stuff like that show up. Um, I've heard rumblings and people talking about some red decks that could possibly compete. And I like the cards that they're mentioning. Cards that I keep hearing, Goblin Chain Whirler, like the idea of it. Especially if you compare it with something that allows it to do more damage to the, to the uh, zombies and clear about something like Torbran. Um, a lot of people are talking about Rekindling Phoenix being very good in this matchups because they generally can't remove the card. We've seen Veraskas Katip show up a little bit in some of these I decks, but not off. really. You know, they're they're mostly having like abrupt decay. Yeah, they're mostly having abrupt decay and fatal bush. That does not kill Rekindling Phoenix. They do together, but you don't necessarily have both. And this card can block and attack pretty well. Um, a card that you and I talked about that I was like, depending on how aggressive you want to slant your deck, Legion Loyalist is another card that could just get them dead. You know, the turn they're like, all right, make six zombies, I stabilize. And you're like, you cannot block, sir. You know, something along the lines of that. Just sneak in those last couple points of damage because you are a red deck. You know, you can get them pretty low. Yeah, no, all all that makes a lot of sense to me. And I want to see people have a chance to do that. That said, I think there are legitimate reasons to ban field and copter which are why you know why those two are at the top of my list um you know i think i completely agree with you that field is on top of ahead of copter because of the way it constrains the format i think it's a lot it would be a lot easier for a control deck to be built to contain the black aggro deck than a control deck to contain field of the dead because it's just so hard to interact with field itself um and you know the first thing that people thought about when this black aggro deck was doing well were, were cards like Anger of the Gods and Cry the Carnarium. And those cards, you just can't really put them into your deck. There's no good deck that like gets to play them because those decks could just never beat Field of the Dead. So why? Like we just don't want to do that. So you know, those cards are just, you know, sort of squeezed out of the format by Field, and that makes Mono Black even better. Um, so that Field just constraining the format and saying like 
your end game has to be better than this and or you have to kill me basically takes control decks out of the format. Azorius control is sort of on the fringe, but I I doubt we'll see a lot of it as long as Field of the Dead isn't around unless they're like also a field deck. I will say we've seen them incorporate playing field themselves to kind of like keep up. But they're just not as good at doing it because they don't have the rejuvenators and the hour promises to start getting double two and three and four copies of it. Yeah, I mean, I've seen like people talk about like Elspeth is a thing that could possibly, you know, like if you have your own field plus Elspeth, you can kind of keep up. And I'm like, that's still not that good because like they're attacking you before you're making your one ones. You know what I mean? Like by the time you make your sixth land drop on turn six. Like, they've probably already started activating Field yeah. of the Dead. And they can just Ormondal and kill your Elspeth, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ormondal, we talked about that. I mean, how, whoever found that, they're just a yeah. genius. Like, just galaxy brain level and stuff like that. And that's another cool thing, too. We've seen, like, some cool lands come in. Have you seen, like, Crumbling Visage has been in, in yeah. these decks? So they can go get a different land, but actually make mana and stuff. It's just, it's just cool. It's a colorless land that makes a mana of a color. So, like... I love seeing all the little innovations, like one of these lands. Like I've seen some lists go up to twenty-eight to thirty lands in their deck, and you know, just hey, you've got you've got to make your land drops. Like you just have to do it, you know. And I've seen the ones that have the higher land counts. They're generally playing a Boreal Grazer over Gilded Goose, and that seems to be the big stress point right now. Is like, what one drop creature do you play? That makes sense to me. And I, I'm kind of leaning towards a Boreal Grazer because it gives you the the more busted draws. Like you go like Grazer into Rejuvenator into. Great blocker against the aggro decks. By the way, can I talk about how much I hate that card? So, like, I don't know if you've oh, known this about me. I despise that card. But there's, like, little cards that I've hated over the history of Magic. Some of them have been pretty impactful. And I don't like, like, I've, I've jokingly, like, on Twitter talked about this. Like, why can Mox Diamond block? And, like, have <laughs> like I just don't understand to me. Like, it, it doesn't make sense to me because it's literally just Mox Diamond or whatever. And it just blocks. It's like, if you ever heard me talk about, like, Sensei's Divining Top or cards like Blood Moon, just like little cards like that, I'm like, this card is just annoying in what it does to the game. And, like, it was another reason why we had a big problem with Standard. Like, you printed all these cards together. And it's like, the, the thing is, is like, it does your, like, it does your natural plan, right? Like, you are accelerating. Like, if you think about it, you know, in the history of magic, the the, the most prototypical ramp, uh, uh, ramp spell of all time, Rampant Growth. You know, that's, that's like the one that everyone thinks of. You know, all the other cards are variants of Rampant Growth, pretty much. But you're you're putting a 0-3 into play and putting another land into play. Yeah, you had another land in your hand. I get it. Yeah, I understand. There's there's you're a uh, there's 30. like a cost here. <laughs> yeah, it's gonna it's gonna it's gonna happen. The amount of times that the O3 body is relevant is absurd. Because here's the thing. It either ramps you faster than the other deck you're playing against, or it ramps you and then protects your life total against the aggressive deck that you're playing against. Because if you look at like the mono black decks, it's just a bunch of uh, Savannah Lions besides the Flyers, and it blocks all of them. You'll find no <laughs> no uh, no argument argument. Yeah, I remember yeah. I was playing against in a standard classic over the summer with mono blue aggro, you know, Curious Obsession, all that jazz, and I. Mulligan to five, don't know the matchup. And I keep a five card hand that is two islands, one drop, obsession, either dive down or spell pierce. And I'm like, let's go. I'm on the play. You're dead. And I like, you know, just smile and put my one drop into play, pass the turn. My opponent just goes, land or boreal grazer. And my face just drops. It's like, no, it's so big. It has three toughness. I don't know if you knew this, but I was actually standing behind you when this was going on. I was at that open, and I sta- I was standing behind you because I, I like watching you play Mono Blue because I play the deck as well. I watched this happen, and I just walked away. 
like immediately like that happened and i was like i'm gonna go see if my rounds up well, like my, my opponent never drew a relevant spell and i won that game but <laughs> oh okay lucky lucky but still it, it was a, it was a major feel bad uh i the arboreal grazer it's one of those cards that just dichotomizes the game right the the arboreal grazer games are so different than the non-arboreal grazer games uh and, and those cards are kind of a problem because there's not a lot there's no nothing you can really do about it you know, yeah, what do you do? Like spin a card to kill yeah. it? That that feels horrible. It's, you're literally just crossing your fingers and hoping it doesn't happen to you. Uh, so you know, and that that's that's one of the issues with these field decks. But we'll we'll see if I'm interested to see if um, we start to come up with some like kind of combo decks um, that can contend with field like we've seen a little bit of of simic nexus pop up which i think might be a deck that's a little better against black aggro than you might think see that's the thing that's the thing that interests me right is i i've seen people post about it like i've seen people like hey you know a 5-0 to the simic nexus deck or a 4 row in a bunch of the simic nexus deck we've retweeted from our, our twitter account a couple times and i've heard them talk about it and they're like the field decks if you you know if you play pretty tight and like they don't just thought seize you into the ground it's like a buy right like obviously they have draws but like game one is like very very easy they have a bunch of like fatal push and stuff in their deck but they say that the mono black matchup actually can be pretty difficult because the decks can beat you game one and then they actually have a good plan for game two you know like they bring in more hand disruption yeah. or something know, along the line pile of hand you know? disruption and a clock seems like it should be great against nexus but you know that was what yeah. that was my one loss at the invitational <laughs> guy just clowned me too well you suck <laughs> yeah you suck but and I think that's I think you make a really good point here because it's important, right? Like if this Nexus deck, like uh, God, another card, I, I'm just like this design is heinous, <laughs> you know. Uh, especially the, the, why are they all foil? Like just like don't let me go off on this card. I'll talk for another ten minutes about it. This card I need to consistently draw over and over again is also just marked. <laughs> yeah, it's like why do I have this mountain in my deck? It, I'll always I will always make that joke. Did you ever watch coverage like the first time you saw the mountains <laughs> in your hand? You're like, why does he have mountain in his hand? But all right, anyway. Um, yeah, yeah, I think if that deck was like, God, I don't want to say healthy, but if that deck, if that deck was a deck that was like playable and like good against or good enough against the other aggro deck, I, I think it would make the, 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 the deck choice healthier, you know? And if, if that deck does start coming up, like, let's say they, they figure out how to be, beat the mono black matchup. If that deck does start getting good, all the field decks are just going to start playing a bunch of questing beasts and shifting ceratops or whatever in their sideboard and just, and just be like, LOL, brown you, you know, like. I'll, I'll just take out all the stuff that doesn't matter anymore. I'll interact with you once. You know, I'll, I'll make sure that I don't <clears throat> get reclamationed, and I'll just put this obscene clock into play against you. And, and they have Teferi, too, which is obviously like, great in a matchup. Yeah, the, the Bantlet release. Golgari lists have, like, Trophy that can deal with reclamation. Uh, but I, I think if you are if you want to be beating the field decks, you, you don't want to be attacking. <laughs> like you want to be doing something non-interactive that just sort of ends the game, whether it's like just guy ascendancy or, or nexus of fate, something along those lines. The issue is like, you know, those kind of decks fold to discard plus pressure. That's what the mono black deck does. So we're, we're at this weird place where the, the format is kind of squeezed. Uh, I think that's a, a pretty good reason to, if you decide that you need to ban something to only ban one of the cards, we both agree that field is the more, you know, restrictive of the two. Yeah, because like when I think about it overall, and when I think about making the format healthier, I think that if you were to take just one thing away, if you were to take away field, then it opens up the format to have an actual mid-range deck, because the mid-range decks just cannot beat the field decks, like at all, they just cannot do it, and then you like find a control deck that's possibly playable, because that also cannot beat the field decks, 
you know, and it, you, you start having a format that's healthier and it's a lot more open. You know, we've seen people do things to try to figure it out. I was watching Aspiring Spike play the uh, a person we mentioned a lot on this because the guy is very good at magic and brews a lot. I, lo- I love watching his stream. He was playing like Abzan mid-range today and all of his reasoning was good around his card choices. I mean, I was like, I, I don't think I could ever register this deck in the tournament, but all of his reasoning was good. He had a lot of Obsidat in his deck, you know, a BBD special. Because, yep. like, that card's in, in, a, in a pretty good spot. Like, Mono Black, like, almost cannot kill this card. It's very good. Siege Rhino, another problem for a deck like that. But every time I watched him playing against these good decks, yeah, he would win games, but the pressure and the onus was always on him. You know what I mean? Like, he had to have his good draws. Yeah. The other decks and that's not where you want to be. He couldn't. Yeah. Yeah. You don't want to be in that spot in a matchup if you, if you can avoid it. And so that's why, overall, I think... Honestly, I think Mono Black is fine. I'm, I'm saying that with like, you know, the little bit of the quotations around it. It's fine. <laughs> you know, the little with the alternative collection. I, I think we got to get Field of the Dead out of here. It was it was obviously a mistake when we saw it in Standard. You know, also the games go so long. <laughs> like, I don't know if you know, Pioneer overall is actually a very fast format. Like the, the rounds get, you know, the... The rounds get done really quickly. Like uh, the paper tournaments I've heard of going very, very fast. I've played one or two myself and it gets done pretty damn quickly. You know, people are trying to get you dead in a lot in these spots. Um, you know, that's we've only seen one or two cards in the history of Magic get taken out of, uh, like, you know, talked about being banned because of stuff like that, like the out of actual what the card does thing, you know, since the divining top comes to mind. But honestly, that's the only thing I think, quote unquote, needs to go. Yeah. Um, at, at this point, I would be pretty upset to see a Smuggler's Copter ban, even with how good Mono Black has been. Um because I'd like to see it in a format without Field of the Dead, keeping a lot of the mid-range and control decks in check. I also think that the the theoretical reason or abstract reason to ban Smuggler's Copter is usually because it uh, is too ubiquitous. You know, when it was made in standard, it's because every aggro deck was playing it. There were there were several of them, but it, like they were all playing Smuggler's Copter. Now we're really only seeing the one. We saw it in a little bit in, in red. Now the red decks aren't playing it as much. We saw it in that Azorius Flash deck that was kind of aggressive, but not really. Um, and we so we've really only seen it in a true aggressive shell and continuously in this Mono Black deck. Um, maybe that's a sign that like you know Copter is so good and Mono Black is the only deck that uses it well, so Mono Black is the only good aggro deck. Uh, I could see that being the case, but I'm not convinced it is the case. Um, so. Uh, at, Unfortunately, there's no real other card I think you can ban from the Mono Black deck that really like you know puts a dent in it. Uh, everything else is pretty replaceable. I heard uh, Knight of the Ebon Legion. That one was kind of interesting to me because that's the card that really helps you out against bigger creatures. You know your your recursive threats can all get trumped pretty easily, but that's the one that really like lets you keep attacking into them. So if you cut Knight, then like the green decks are a little bit better against you. But like that's just obviously like you know trying really hard to keep copter in the format like it's just embarrassing to ban knight of the ebon legion you can't yeah, do I that. agree with that <laughs> yeah like I, I saw that too some some conversations going on one of the interesting cards that i saw get mentioned that like made sense on some spectrum was castle lockthwain that like you take away like some of the um what's the what's the word i'm looking for some of like the you know the extra yeah. value that I, that I barely inside. activated that card yeah honestly I think it entered tapped and was annoying more often than I activated it. <laughs> like my, my deck might have been better at the Invitational if I just played four more swamps. 
Or like you know, you went down to like two yeah, or three castle lock. Mutavault is the prize there. Maybe you could ban Mutavault or ban Thoughtseize. I, I don't know. Uh, but those, those I don't want to ban yeah, those. Those though. have such like, wide you know I mean? wide ranging effects that I, I I agree with you. I wouldn't want to do that. And that's another reason I, I just want a little bit more data. I want people to try to figure out some ways to combat these decks. And I think if if you look down the list of PTQ lists, there is a card that I I think is interesting. This is in JLED's twenty first place list, and it's. It's an Orzhov Vehicles deck, but the card that's super interesting is Thalia Heretic Cathar. Yeah. Two- yeah. This is a card that like had a lot of uh, implications in its standard day, and has is, is felt kind of forgotten in this format. Well, I, I think one of the issues with this card early on was that there were a lot of red decks playing Wild Slash, and it is really weak to Wild Slash. There aren't a lot of red decks right now, with you know Field and Mono Black being uh, so prevalent. So this card matches up reasonably well against Fatal Push. You know, obviously just hard to revolt in this format. Yeah, they can decay it, you know, whatever. But if it sticks around, it has a huge effect on the battlefield in both matchups. You know, the 3 2 first strike body is almost impossible to attack through, except a pumped knight of the Ebon Legion or a flyer in the mono black deck. It stops their creatures from entering untapped and crewing copter, which makes their, you know, go wide plan against a good blocker a little bit harder to execute. Uh, you know, obviously it can turn the corner reasonably well in those matchups. And then against the field decks, they don't play a lot of basics. So they're, you're basically just time walking them. And that's a big deal. Like if they're, if they're our promise takes an extra turn to come online and you get one extra free attack with an aggro deck, that's probably enough to end the game. And, and especially in, in this deck where Absolutely. you have a bunch of flyers, you have smuggler's copter and heart of Kieran. You know, this is the typical vehicles. We got Toolcraft Exemplar, Raven Inspector, Scrappy Scrounger, and then Heart and Copter. We don't see a ton of Planeswalkers to use with Heart, but Gideon Blackblade and Gideon Ally of Zendikar, both reasonable ways to crew it. And then we get to play Thoughtseize and Fatal Push. I've seen a lot of of three-color vehicles decks. This is two colors and they're enemy, so you have a great mana base. Gets to play four Mutavault in a a two-color deck. That's nice. I see, you know, 16 sources of white mana on turn one. That's a really good number because we really want white often to be casting Toolcraft and Inspector. Uh, you know, how many black sources we have here? 15, I count. That's a good number. 14 enter untapped on turn one. That's enough for Thoughtseize and Fatal Push. Um, you're not casting those on turn one as often as you will the others. Um, so 14 is reasonable. Uh, mana base looks good to me. Uh, you know, you've got the good black disruption. You probably have a pretty good clock. I think Thalia is really well positioned. This is an interesting deck to me. Yeah, I'm actually a pretty big fan of it. It looks super fun. Um, you get to play black, which I'm a big fan of in this in this format. I think black has like a lot of the best sideboard cards too. When you're looking at stuff like Duress, when you want that extra effect in, in formats, or something like Noxious Grass, which we see in the sideboard, cast down, you know, just extra removal to make sure that you hit those particular you know planeswalkers or creatures in the matchups that matter. And then it's backed up with a quick clock with a lot of the white cards, which honestly, I want to see more white in this format. Like I want to see white actually have a representation because it is by far the worst color in this format. And yeah. I don't think it's particularly arguable. No, I, I agree. It's been pretty we were talking bad. About like, yeah, we were talking about like, what do you have to have happen to make it good? And I have two, I have two things right now, like off the top of my head. One, you ban everything into the ground until white's the only playable <laughs> color. Or you possibly give us something like Path to Exile in the next set, but then we'd see, you know, decks splashing for that too, you know, like Abzan would get better, et cetera, et cetera. But like White would have some kind the thing is it just doesn't really have an identity in this format either, right? Has White had an you know, identity like, in any format for the last five years? 
it's been aggressive. And I think that's about it. Yeah. Yeah. Lot, like a well, lot of the white aggro decks. If your name is Tom Ross. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, well, you had like uh, Loxodon Slider, yeah. or uh, I'm sorry, whatever. Tom Ross or Andrew Allen Bogan. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Like, there's just a Pro Tours one by the deck. You know, there's, uh, it was obviously or, the best uh, deck. Or, or Ma- well, I'll put Max McVitie in that group too. Sure, yeah, yeah. They like they like a Savannah they, Lion, like a little too they much. They do. But, but yeah, but you get what I'm saying. It's just overall, it's definitely the weakest thing. And like, I like seeing it show up a little more. I've seen. Uh, some vehicles decks kind of on the fringes showing up. We've seen um, like Mardu ones. You're doing something like Unlicensed Disintegration. Your mana is so bad. Like Your mana is very, very bad. You have to play like Spire of Industry yeah, and stuff. This deck has actively good mana. So Yeah, it's really, really good. Um, speaking of that, like you talked about that, like going into, into third colors. That's another thing that I've seen starting to pop up a little bit with red is... You were talking about Wild Slash. I haven't actually seen that card that much as as much lately. We've seen the the, the removal changing. You know, because it's all black, start switching over to removal that like removes creatures from the game a little bit more. We're starting to see like magma spray, and like I've even seen like scorching dragon fire or whatever. Uh, it's like a two mana instant that deals three to a creature or a planeswalker, but if the, if that would die, it exiles it. So it like kills copter plus like exiles all the creatures and stuff from the mono blue deck while still being able to hit a planeswalker in some other matchups is like. You know, it's kind of like being able to be a burn spell-ish. You know, like having the fact that it can't go to the face. It's not just a creature removal spell. So I've seen those cards popping up in lists. You know, if you're looking at possibly playing one of the decks that we were talking about earlier with like Legion Loyalist or Chain Whirler or Rekindling Phoenix, which by the way, make Rekindling Phoenix good and playable again. I still own a ton of them, including foil ones. So I need I need to like make them worth something. But uh I have a, my wife likes uh, likes owls, and Rekindling Phoenix is actually an owl. If if you didn't know that secretly, and so uh, I got her some foil ones for like some magic cards that she could own. But anyway, so yeah, so it's pretty interesting to see like what's going on. Um, I I think like overall, if we had to just, just sum it all up, yeah, there's only it feels like two decks going on right now. But I don't think we need to overreact, and that's the thing I'm worried about because like we're seeing that it's very possible we may have overreacted early. With all the green cards, which I, honestly, I, I think it's right. I think it's good. Like, we made that deck good, but not broken. Yeah. The, the fact that the deck was still succeeding a little bit afterwards, you know, we've adjusted to it. Um, but I, I agree that, like, those those green decks and the cat deck, like, they just looked so much better than everything else. Uh, and I think just not having cat in the format, it's the, it's the old argument of, like, oh, unbanned twin and modern, you cowards. And I'm like, you don't want that. Like, you don't want that deck existing. You don't want Cat existing because it skews so much of the format. Like, I remember when the format first came out and we knew that cat, the Cat deck was a thing and you and I were building decks and we just had Walking Ballista in literally every list. Like, every <laughs> list. Because you needed a way to interact or to be able to deal damage, you know, to instant speed so you don't just die to Cat combo. And then it puts you into too many positions where, like, they get, like, carte blanche to do whatever they want. You know, you're like, well, I have to, like, leave up a removal spell for the rest of the game where I die you know, kind of thing. And like, you don't want that kind of thing being in the form. You don't want it like the format being gate kept, you know what I mean? Like kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, no, I agree. And, and, you know, one of the reasons that I think the field and mono black decks did well over invitational weekend was because the green decks were receiving the majority of the hype still, you know, uh, everybody was high on hardened skills and Vivian and green devotions. And, you know, people were trying to figure out ways to beat those decks and weren't really focusing on beating the black decks and beating the field decks. Now we're seeing the Legion's Ends, the Virium Plagues, the Magma Sprays, uh, and hopefully, you know, that, that's sort of the first step. You know, the, the first step when people are like, last minute, I need to help in this matchup, they're going to add some more reactive cards that are better in those matchups. The second step is, okay, what decks are good against these? 
you know, I don't know what the answer is there, but this week should tell us, you know, if you, if you have a deck that you're confident is good against both field of the dead variants and mono black aggro, you should be playing it in every PTQ you can this week because you are going to feast. Yeah. And be honest with yourself. I'm looking at you F and M guy who like has won three matches against it. It's like, Oh, I'm going to, you know, I've got a great match against it. You, you might not yeah. actually, you know, and make sure that your cyborg plans are really good and well thought out and understanding what's important in the matchup kind of thing because there's a reason why these are the two best decks they are very very good but i gotta agree with ross if you have a deck that beats both of these oh baby you're in a really good spot even like if you beat one handily and have a close matchup against the other then that's also a great spot because it's not like i i, I it's hard for me to say like which one is favored of like mono black versus bantfield or golgari field or what's favored in the field mirror i think all those matchups are pretty close so by playing one of those top decks, you're not gaining a huge edge on the field. You know they're doing well because they're doing better against the you know random decks that are still around, and they're being played in pretty high numbers. So even if you have a solid matchup against one and you're fine, like reasonable, maybe slightly behind against the other, uh, then that's also a good spot to be in. And I I find it hard to believe that there's no decks that you know get there. Um, well, I won't say find it hard to believe, but like. I find it hard to believe that it's definitive at this point that there are no decks that get there. Maybe we find out that that is the case, then yeah, we'll, we'll ban some cards. But I, I'm I'm optimistic that this is an exploitable metagame as yeah. opposed to a broken metagame. Yeah, I'm, I'm even looking at some of the, uh, I say older, the, the versions of black-green when it was first getting popular for the, uh, <clears throat> the Field of the Dead decks, and they had like casualties of war in their sideboard. And I'll tell you this, if if that was a card that was getting played and you had to choose between Bant and Golgari, I'm, I'm, I'm going to cast Casualties of War against this Bant deck. I'm going to kill your Teferi, your Field of the Dead, your Boil Grazer, and like a clue off of, you know, or like your your, tra- your tracker and your clue. Because like all these decks are playing four trackers now too, because if you have this high of a land count, like you need to be able to, you know, turn those into some resources. Yeah, especially if people are interacting with interesting. your fields. Also, that's another thing. I just thought about this. Uh, almost every field deck I've seen has Once Upon a Time in it. What happens if we finally axe that card? Yeah, I think a lot of heat has come off of that card since the like green mana creature decks have been held in check. But it is, you know, an important part of these field decks as well. So maybe Once Upon a Time gets axed from that deck, makes it a little bit less consistent, a little bit easier to go underneath. And that opens the door for some different aggressive decks, especially like the red decks like you were talking about. Those red decks are probably pretty good against mono black. You know, Mono Black is really bad at um, at blocking, and so if you fall behind, things can get really awkward. The red deck is probably going to have really good removal. Murderous Rider is kind of a liability in that matchup, uh, at least Swift End is, uh, and, the, and the Rider half is pretty easy to deal with with Lightning Strike and Wizards Lightning. Yeah, th- think about the removal that the Black decks are playing right now. They're playing like Dark Betrayal. You know, Legions, Legions in, which is a sorcery at like two mana to kill stuff in the red deck. And uh, what was the other one? I was gonna, say? you know, it's like you know, fatal push is obviously good, but like your removal is in like noxious grasp. So like your removal isn't even lining up super great against like a three three for three with first strike. Like none of those cards do well against that card, and you do not block that card very well at all. So you know, you might see the mono black decks adjust and stuff like that. So that's what we've been talking about on the show, and that's the point we're trying to get to is if you know if the, if the right little piece gets taken out. And makes these decks a little less dominant, which I think, again, we keep keep hammering it, but I think it's the Field of the Dead deck needs to have a little thing. I think the format could be actually really great. Like, there could be so many playable decks, and the decisions, the micro 
decisions that you make per week going into your tournament, you know, it's like the little things you do like go way up in value and can really, really reward you that weekend for picking the right deck and the right couple cards. It's like that because, I mean, it's like you said, you don't know if there is like something that, that can just beat these decks. Maybe we haven't enough time yet, so maybe we got to let it sort out. I, I'm I'm excited to see if we can sort it out. I, yeah. I hope they get uh, at least you know, another. Week. We've been working off pretty limited data for the first few weeks. This is the this week though. We're gonna have so many PTQ results. These are big tournaments on Magic Online. A lot of great players from a wide geographical base. Uh, so you know, we're gonna have a lot of data here to work with, and we're gonna break it down on next week's show. It's gonna be great. Um, I'm excited to see what comes out. I expect the first couple tournaments will be dominated by, you know, field and mono black. I'm, I'm more excited to see what happens, you know, the Thursday and Friday PTQs, you know, people are hung over from their Thanksgiving dinners. They're a little bit, you know, a little bit more willing to take a risk. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like that's the thing I was going to, I was going to point is going to make is like, there's also, like you said, there's almost nothing going on around the world right now either. Like, there's the holidays, there's not as many events. So a lot of the best players are going to be playing in these events online, too. Like, I looked at the, you know, the the names at the top of the PTQ at the top eight. You know, I recognize, I'm not even a Moto player. Like, I, I don't even play that much, and I just recognize, like, every one of the names. Like, it's like Stone Cold Killer, Stone Cold Killer, Stone Cold Killer, you know, <laughs> like, you know, and, you know, like we talked about earlier, Zan's making another run. Like, this guy's going to start spiking stuff again, like, crazy. I mean, I don't know, he's had a pretty obscene year of, like, just how much he's been there, you know, and been in the finals without winning too many actual things. He's, he's won a couple and, opens. And innovating a lot, too. So if we see by the end of the week, he might figure something out. Uh, that's the team to look I, out for too like i think lotus box is a team to look out for when it comes to figuring stuff out like that they they're pretty good at, at cracking metagames yep and they they have definitely demonstrated that time and time again this year uh um so I, i'm just i want to be a little bit more hesitant I've, I've heard some people complain about their wanting to get into pioneer but they're worried their deck's going to get banned you know you can't treat every single band the same they were a little bit heavy with uh or a little bit quick with the trigger the first time, I think that had a lot to do with the fact that people were adopting this in paper a lot faster than they expected. We talked about that on that show, that uh, that episode, uh, the week that ban happened. Without any paper events coming up this week, let, let's let's take our time a little bit. Let's see what people can do against Field and Mono Black, uh, and then adjust from there. You know, I'm glad that we uh, overall agreed. You know, we had like a little thing there too that we disagreed with. But like, I, I feel like we've mostly like gotten this right. Like, obviously, we're not just 100% right. And, you know, there's no right or wrong here. But I feel like we've kind of like nailed down the format where it's at, where it's going, and what needs to happen for it to be healthy or, you know, before Watsy can step in. Because I, it's like you said, we're going to have to see what happens over the next couple of days. Because we know the we know what to beat. We've, we've told everybody at home what to beat. Go out there, beat it. And if it can't be beat, then, you know, Watsy will step in. Yep. Uh, and uh, go ahead. Sorry. So there you go. That's that's what you have. <laughs> you know, that, that's Pioneer right now. Uh, like it or, or lump it. Yeah, exactly. And uh, speaking of liking it, um, every week we get a couple of questions in our Discord uh, that some of our uh, Patreon play, uh, Patreon participators can send us. And I actually like a couple of the questions this week. So I was going to see if you wanted to maybe take a shot at the first one. I'm going to let you answer the first one first. I'm going to go ahead and read it. Let's do it. This one is from Joshua. Yeah, this one's from Joshua. It's a, And this is the one that uh, I, I'm sure I'm going to let you answer it first because I'm sure you're going to have uh, <laughs> you're going to identify with this one quite a bit. It's, so the question is, I'm usually really jovial and fun when playing tournaments in person, whether I'm winning or losing. 
but I find that on MTGO, that's Magic Online, I get pretty aggravated when I lose. So what do you do to avoid or recover from getting tilted online? Uh, I gotta say, I'm the same way. Uh, I won't say, I'm not super jovial when I'm playing in paper. I'm usually just pretty quiet, you know, uh, more business-like. Sometimes I get a little chatty. Depends who I'm with. Uh, but, you know, especially if it's just, you know, late in a tournament, I just want to play the match, uh, you know, what happens, happens. I'll wish the person good luck regardless and move on. Um, but when I, I don't, and I don't know what it is, but for some reason, Moto is so much more tilting. I, I, I have a theory as to why. I think, I think it's about perception. You know, obviously in both cases, your deck is randomized. But in one case, it's randomized by you. And when you're playing a paper on, on Moto, it's randomized by the, you know, mythical shuffler. And you, you don't know what that thing's doing. <laughs> no one knows that. Thing yeah, nobody doing. knows. Nobody knows. So it, it feels like you're being wronged when bad things happen to you <laughs> on Moto. In, okay. In, uh, and, and I'm not saying this is rational. I'm just saying this is <laughs> the, the experience. It, it feels like some, it's, it's something external to you that, that has some sort of grudge. Worth Wolpert just like, I don't know, hates you for some reason, and you've, you've drawn six lands in a row, and you're just like, what did I do to deserve this? You know, when I shuffle my deck, and I draw six lands in a row, maybe on some extent it's like, well, I did this to myself. It makes no sense to think that way, because, you know, your deck is random regardless, or at least it should be. Uh, but, but, I, and, but it's the only thing that I've come up with that maybe explains, I don't know, I, I think Moto maybe triggers just something in, in your lizard brain, it also may be that I'm just a, a huge asshole and I'm good at hiding it when the person is actually across the table from me. But when you know I'm yelling into the void or at my monitor, uh, then you know I, I can just let that inner asshole out uh, and just be that person because there's no repercussions. That's that seems more that might be more plausible. Um, but <laughs> a little bit call me, a little yeah, bit call me. <laughs> the first, the first answer is, is saves a little bit more face for me, makes me look better. So on that metric, I like it a little bit more. Um, but as far as as far as avoiding it or recovering from it, I, I, these things, it's weird for me to like pose this as a question. I I don't think it's something that you need to like have a trick for. I think it's something you just have to get used to, you know. The first time that you get into competitive magic, you know, the first year or whatever, and you're going to tournaments, like once you have that first taste, that first time you do well, uh, and you're you're kind of chasing it, the, the losses start hitting you a little bit harder because you know how good it feels when you're doing well and you're getting the wins. Um, and you, you, you learn over time that like, you know, if I play enough, I'm going to have long streaks where I'm not doing well. I'm going to have streaks where I'm high. And it, it, that eventually, like, once you internalize it, and it really just takes time, you kind of level out. Yeah, like the highs don't get quite as high, but the lows don't get quite as low. And that's that's pretty good. You know, for your mental health, it's good for you not to be riding the roller coaster and ping-ponging between super happy and, and super dejected. Um, but I, I don't think there's really any trick to it. I think you just sort of have to... You, you just have to expose yourself enough to the point where like n you've seen a lot and nothing really phases you that much. You know, I've, I've had a game where I drew literally 10 lands in a row, not exaggerating, it was 10. And if any of those 10 lands was any non-land in my deck, also not an exaggeration, I win the game. And I was still live for top eight in this open. It was like, you know, third round of day two or something, midway through day two. I was X3, 
And that was how I got knocked out of the tournament. But like, you know, things things happen. Play play two thousand matches of magic and like weird stuff will happen. And you'll and and you kinda you, you kinda just have to make peace with that. But I, I don't think there's really any trick to it. Yeah, and so it, it was funny for me to read this question because I was like, is this guy describing Ross? Because um, for anyone who like knows you and I's career, knows that I've played a lot of Magic with you. You know, we've played I, I don't even know how many opens together, and you know, I, I obviously come bird your matches and stuff a lot when we're, we would be at other opens and stuff. You know, you and I always like if I if you and I are in a, at an open together, it's like a hundred percent that we're like staying together, we're like talking decks. Generally, we play you know some of the same decks if that's possible. It's not a team event t- type thing, and. You know, I've come and watched you play, and I, I think you're a sweetheart at the table. I think you're something that people can aspire to. You know, you're like a gentleman. You're, you know, very jovial, whatever you want to say. The One of the first times I called in to watch you play on Magic Online, I was aghast. I was like, what just happened? I thought something else. Like, I checked my, I looked at the other screen, you know, because I have two monitors set up. I was like, do I have somebody scream? Who just screamed the F word that loud? Like, like who just, who just lost it? No, but... But yeah, like, I think it's a, you know, like you said, it's just a different animal and there's no trick, but like, you know, things that I can say for people is when you're done with that match, if you feel yourself really tilted, don't just immediately queue into another game. That's like probably one of the worst things you can do because if it goes bad, like it's going to go real bad. More likely to go bad because you're not in a good space. That's a really good point. You're in a good space. Yeah. Get up, go walk around. Uh, Like when I used to play a lot of games online during the day, you know, when I was doing a lot of like magic stuff, if I had a particularly tilting moment or whatever, uh, one of my favorite things to do is I'd go grab my dog and go walk around the neighborhood with her, go walk around the block. Cause like, it's just impossible to be mad when I'm walking my dog or whatever, you know, just go do something, anything else to get my mind off of it. Go do a, a chore, you know, go wash the dishes or something, turn some music on, just get yourself out of that headspace. You can't do that as much in person, obviously, and, you know, this surprises me, like, hearing this um, f- overall from you, because, like you said, you get so many more matches online than you do live. And I would think that, like, playing that many more would help lower variance, and you would, you would like, you would, you would take it easier. But maybe the fact that it happens more often, because you're seeing everything faster... Kind of things. It's it's like one of those things where people used to talk about like online poker a lot. Like you know, people were like, "I am sure it's rigged." You know, I lose with this hand way more often than I do in real life. I'm like, yeah, because you're playing at like twelve times the speed. Like in real life, you get like, you know, twelve hands maybe every thirty minutes if you're lucky. You might get ten online. You're getting like hundreds an hour. You know, if you're playing multiple tables stuff. So like, you're seeing stuff a lot more. So the bad things are happening to you more. And the way our brains work, like selective memory, like there's a, there's a saying from the movie Rounders. It's like every poker player can tell you with amazing clarity their bad beats that, that happened to them through their career. But, you know, when, when the good stuff happens to them, like when they win tournaments, they like can't give you as good of details and stuff. And so our brain focuses on the negative part and there's no real way to fix that. Like that's just how we're like chemically balanced. There's no trick to it, like you said. But... You could possibly find ways to make yourself just take it better. Uh, maybe go meditate a little bit before or after your matches. You know, get in that Zen mode or whatever you gotta you gotta do. Um, also, I, I gotta say this: if you're if you're always playing in the same area, like you have an office in your house, like I have an office in my house I'm in right now, and you have like negative reactions to something like Magic Online a lot, go play somewhere else for one day. Like get yourself out of that space and that space always being negative. You know what I mean? Like, 
if you believe in energies or anything like that, like that's a, that's a thing that could definitely affect you because you're preemptively going into it, like ready to go. Like you're, you're, you're pent up walking in, you know, cause like this is your room that you get mad in. <laughs> like, you know, this is your, this is your screaming room. So. This is my angry place. <laughs> <laughs> this is my angry place. Yeah. Uh, so Ross, we had a second question this week, right? We did. And this is also a nice one, a good open-ended one to round out the show. This is from Cody Abzan Battle Priest. Big fan of this guy. Asking, how do you go about crafting sideboard plans? Do you focus on what to bring in, what to take out, or how it changes the overall game plan first? All right, so I'm going to answer this one first because I have the best answers for this one, for how to craft overall We'll uh, see about plans. that. I, I ask somebody else. <laughs> I just immediately start finding someone who's really good with the deck. I'm like, hey, man, what are you doing? Or I just find $3 and go to a Patreon somewhere and get the sideboard Ooh. plan for them. No, uh, I'll see your side. Those actually aren't bad ideas, by the way. Um, but it's it's also important for you to understand why you're sideboarding the way you are in these matchups. Uh, generally, the first thing that I do if I'm trying to create a sideboard plan is I think people do it kind of backwards. I go through what's in my main deck first and find what's bad there. You know, people just like, oh, I want all seven of these cards or all eight of these cards from my sideboard. They all look great. Then I'm like, well, what eight cards are you taking on your deck? Because now your deck doesn't function the way you want it to, you know, kind of thing. So I think find... The best way that the easiest way that I always say is find the cards that either like just don't make sense in the matchup or just aren't very good. Take those out, see how many spots you have, and then kind of plan it out from there. Having an idea going into something, uh, besides instead of trying to do it all on the fly, is much better than not doing. Take it from someone who's played multiple tournaments with no idea what they're doing with their sideboard and just wings it. It's it's not a fun spot to be. Yeah, uh, <laughs> it's definitely a you know. It's pretty clear, I think, at this point that sideboarding is the most difficult part of competitive magic, right? I, I'm still not yeah, good at it. It's, it's the thing that most people struggle with. It's the reason that content creators have jobs, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, and we, we, that's a, a common joke among uh, a lot of us that write articles. Hey, you know? hey y'all got any more of them sideboard guides? Yeah, not, not just like the, you know, everybody wants a sideboard guide. It's that, you know, if, if we put in sideboard guides, like, you know, our content hits better because that's what people struggle with. Um, and I have to say that I think the reason people do struggle with sideboard guides is because it's the aspect of magic that requires you to have the tightest and firmest grasp on the fundamentals and the theoretical fundamentals. And that's where, you know, that's the hardest stuff to grasp. You know, you need to understand it on a very deep level in order to be able to apply, you know, the principles to a specific situation, you know, in a certain deck, it might be right to bring in legions and against, uh, you know, Field of the Dead. In other decks, it, it just might not be. You know, if I'm playing a, a super fast combo deck that is going to crush these field decks, I don't want to bring in Legion's End, even if I'm a black deck and I have it in my sideboard because it's good against aggro decks or whatever that might exist in the format. You know, but it, there's just no reason to because on a strategic level, your deck all, already trumps theirs. So there's no reason to get reactive. That's something that you have to understand on a you know very fundamental level in order to get and not just think, oh, Legion's End matches up well against hordes of zombie tokens. My opponent's deck makes hordes of zombie tokens, so I want Legion's End. You know, that line of thinking is thinking on a tactical level. You want to if you want to be really good at sideboarding, you need to be thinking on a strategic level. That is, you know, what is my game plan and what cards do I have that, you know, fit that game plan? And how do I need to adjust my game plan in order to compete against what my opponent is doing? Uh, you know, and, and it's a very difficult thing to do. And then, you know, it's certainly not something that I, I do, you know, flawlessly or well. <laughs> and um, so the, 
the way that you know Cody's question is laid out, I think it's telling that they list do you focus on what to bring in, what to take out, or how it changes the overall game plan first? Because they list those those first two things are that that's not even the question I'm really asking. That that answer comes out of asking what is my overall game plan and how does it need to change. Once once I answer that you know general strategic question, the question of what to bring in and what to take out generally makes a lot of sense. Um, so you know it's sort of a corollary at that point. So they're not even separate things to me. It's one you know leads from the other. And there's there's some heuristics that I like to use. You know like the if. If we're both playing slow decks and my opponent has inevitability, then I need to be the aggressor. You know that that sort of role aside, role assessment, who's the beatdown kind of stuff. Um, but one specific example of it, you know, if uh, you know, there, there's sort of two ways to approach aggressive mirrors. You can either play like an attrition war, or if or you can try to find a trump card, um, and that that actually happens a lot in decks that are similar strategically. You know, because they, they tend to, you know, just sort of bounce off each other. Um, and, uh, you know, playing attrition is natural at that point because your cards trade a lot. But you can, you know, ignore the attrition war and be better if you have some sort of trump card that ignores the attrition war. Um, so there's a lot of these little heuristics that you pick up. You know, I, I can't really list them all, but they all, you know, sp- spring forth from having this fundamental understanding of how aggressive decks work, how certain types of aggressive decks work, either, you know, go tall, go wide, or synergy-driven, and then, like, how mid-range decks work, how control decks work, how different combo decks work. Um, but the thing is, like, the the principles even then only get you so far. You know, sometimes the cards trump the principle. Like, uh, you know, a card like Blight Beetle is a card that just shuts down certain archetypes, uh, you know, like Green Devotion and Pioneer. That can you know let you completely ignore the strategic underpinnings of a matchup because you just have a card that says you know your deck doesn't function. The same thing happened like that. That's the the essence of a hate card. You know that's the essence of rest in peace against dredge out of a bunch of decks and things like that. Um, and that's why I think people use the term hate card a little bit too um, too liberally. Yeah, like they'll call like ancient grudge artifact hate. You know, when I think of a hate card, I think of a card that will win the game by itself or when paired with, like, with minimal other, you know, functionality. Um, and and that, that's just another thing. Like, that, I, I keep on trying to find a way, and I've been rambling for a while now, because I'm trying to find a way to sum all this up in some concise package, and there really isn't. The, the problem is that sideboarding is so broad that you can't really answer this question in the span of two minutes. It would take me, you know, 30 hours <laughs> Sideboarding is kind of an art and you have to practice it like to be good at it just like anything that goes in, like just like drawing painting whatever like you need to understand your matchups like you need to have played the matchup so you understand what's important I mean you eat there, there are shortcuts obviously you can talk to somebody and it's like hey this is important this is important this is why you take this out this is why you take that out kind of thing and it does work out but like you know Ross himself got to like watch me figure things out as like you know because we played I played the same deck for what like a year and a half during our team events you know or over a year playing with Grixis Delver and you would see me like figure new things out you know as as games go on because like you know you'd, you'd see me get more and more reps against, against certain decks I'm starting to figure oh like yeah this card is like always here and you bring it in this matchup but like it never plays out that way you know kind of thing so it's like important to get your own experiences and understand why you're doing things instead of just taking you know, what other people say. Yeah. Gospel um, and 
uh, I will say, you know, of these three things listed in the question, the overall game plan matters so much more than anything else. It literally is that that is what sideboarding is. It's figuring out what your game plan is and executing it. Um, and if your answer to why do I bring card X in or card Y out is because of something that's surface level, like, you know, fatal push is good because my opponent has lots of two toughness creatures, then that's not good enough. Now, if you pair that with, I'm playing a reactive strategy that relies on killing my opponent's creatures. So I need removal spells that match up well against my opponent's creatures. And this main deck removal spell is bad and the sideboard removal spell is good. So I'm going to swap them then that makes sense. You've, you've now fully answered the question. You say, I need better removal spells in this matchup. That's where I'm lacking to execute my reactive, controlling, attrition game plan. Then, you know, you're upgrading that and, and bolstering that aspect of your of your deck's plan. You know, that, that makes complete sense. And usually that's what people are doing, you know, when they're bringing in a little bit better removal spells. Um, or they say, like, you know, I'm an aggro deck, and the only problematic creatures that I have to worry about are, you know, Kalidus and... Uh, you know, Siege Rhino or whatever. So I have Dark Betrayals on my sideboard because it answers both Kalidus and Siege Rhino out of my opponent's, like, removal-heavy Abzan deck. Uh, just talking out of my ass there. Like, th- that would make sense. You know, I need, I, need, I need a minimal amount of interaction to deal with these threats that can otherwise take over the game, so I'm going to have a few removal spells on my deck, but otherwise be as proactive as possible uh, because, you know, my proactive game plan is stonewalled by these cards. That makes perfect sense. But you need to be, get in the habit of fully explaining everything. A lot of people, you know, they'll shortcut and say, well, like, well, I want Dark Betrayal because my opponent has black creatures. It's like, well, do you want a removal spell? Get a little bit more fundamental and get used to asking those very basic questions. Oftentimes, the answers to those questions are very obvious, so it feels a little weird to ask them. But if you get in the habit of doing it, you'll start seeing the scenarios where it's not so obvious and you start deviating and you'll get used to seeing why you're deviating and you'll, you know, then you'll build those fundamentals up. Does that make sense? All right. Absolutely. I got a question for you. Yeah. Are you doing anything for Thanksgiving? I am hanging out with Corey Baumeister and his lovely fiance, Tori. You're doing a Friendsgiving? Yeah. Uh, I'm so jealous. Really, I'm just third wheeling their couple's Thanksgiving. This is um, going to be the three of us at their place. You should, y'all should, like, I know it's kind of late now. It's Tuesday while we're recording. It's Tuesday night. But, like, what we used to do in Vegas, because a lot of us would, like, not go home for Thanksgiving. Like, I would go home for Christmas. I wouldn't go, for, I wouldn't go home for Thanksgiving. If we would have Friendsgiving, or we'd call it Frozgiving, because we'd always go to Eric Froelich's house, because, <laughs> you know, the, the, the biggest house and the biggest area for us all to do it. Plus, um, Athena loves to cook and is a very, very, very good cook. But we would have, you know, we'd invite a bunch of people over and everybody would like pitch in like 10 or 20 bucks or whatever, you know, because like, you know, we get the turkey and like, you know, all the, the, the big ridiculous, but everybody had to bring something, you know, you bring a bottle of wine. Uh, I remember uh, Ben, you came one year and brought candied bacon. And I was like, this is amazing. I want more of this, you know, and uh, I actually miss Friendsgiving, you know, because yeah. like here, you know, it's like, it's all families, which is great. Don't get me wrong. I, but like Friendsgiving is a definitely like just a cool thing. I did a Friendsgiving once in New York and it was definitely fun. Um yeah, it's so different that it's like really cool, right? But I, I, I don't know, it'll just be the three of us hanging out, you know, playing some ping pong at their place. They got a ping pong table. Uh, nice. Maybe playing some cribbage. I found out recently that both of them play cribbage, which is great. I know you play a lot of cribbage. Yes. I will never uh, learn how to play cribbage, Ross. Don't ask me. <laughs> yeah, no worries. And then uh, I think we'll we'll probably just go out in Roanoke. Usually the bars are open Thanksgiving night here. Uh, and it's usually a pretty fun time. People are just like kind of sick of their families at that point. Yeah. Oh God, I need a drink. And so you just go out, have a few drinks. Um, you know, uh, I know 
Corey, he, he worked a lot this last week because it, he took a little a couple weeks off streaming because he had the Mythic Championship and then the Invitational. And then so the week after the invitation was like, I got to get back to streaming a lot. So he put a ton of work, streamed a lot. And now this week he's, you know, he's cutting back a little bit again. It's like, you know, we should go out a little bit. So uh, I think yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to meet him now that we're done recording, head downtown for a few beers. I'll see him on Thursday, too. Yeah, um, I'm. Uh, I'm. I'm interested to see what's going on. We're. Uh, we're still working out the, the 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 minute details of of little things. The typical like every every family wants to host type thing. So oh, yeah, we'll, yeah. Like all the all the the grandparents want to host. So we're trying to figure that out. Um, I'm just gonna go somewhere and get fat and watch the Saints game. Like I, that's all I care about. Do they all live in the same area? Yeah, we're all live within the same like 15 minute radius, which is nice. You know, we're on like the same side of town. Besides like. The sister-in-law and her husband. So you're all going to end up at one place, but you're just fighting over who specifically hosts. Well, it's it's more that um, it, it's more that okay. So I have a really small family. Like it's my mother, my brother, and me, pretty much. Okay. And, you know, we would always have Thanksgiving growing up. Now he's married and like you know has kids, and like I'm married and like you know she has a big family. Uh, his wife has a big family, and both of them are doing Thanksgiving because they have big families. So like everybody's coming there. And my mom just will not let go of the like Thanksgiving lunch tradition. And I'm like, it, it's a problem every year because we have to like fit going there in and then go to the other one for like the longer period of time. And like, I know this sounds mean, like I'm not trying to sound mean, like I don't want to go to my parents. It's just like, I'm like, just come with us. Like you're invited. Come over there. You know, don't cook one year. Like, like you, don't do you this yourself. It off, you know? Yeah, it seems horrible. Yeah. But like, you know, I, I think my mom just like enjoys doing it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, she enjoys. I'm sure she has a lot of good memories of the three of you together when you were younger. Yeah. And uh, yeah, of course, it was a nice quality family time. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I get it. But yeah, that that does sound kind of annoying. Fortunately, uh, yeah. my family never really, you know, did anything. And uh, I also like my family's never been huge on Thanksgiving. You know, I grew up on a Christmas tree farm. Christmas has always been our holiday. So I go back to Connecticut for Christmas for a good while every year. Uh, and that's all that really matters. And so, uh, like, they don't care much about Thanksgiving. So I get to miss it. Um, and, and it's not a big deal. I never went home for Thanksgiving to college. I'm going to tell you a secret about me and uh, about holidays. I'm a Scrooge. I actually don't like holidays very much. Like, we'll get into it more when, like, they come up and stuff on the show. Uh, Thanksgiving's fine. Like, whatever. Like, obviously, there's other reasons to hate holidays. We're not going to get into that. Ross could talk for 17 hours about this stuff. Nope, no, nope, Ross, Ross, no. I see you wanting to do it. No, hold yeah. it in. God, yeah. I, I, I'm trying yeah. to save. <laughs> I'm trying to yeah. save y'all or whatever. Exactly. Wrap up the show. Um, wrap anyway. up the show. <laughs> All, right, wrap up. All right, we'll wrap up the show. All right. So uh, for everybody, if you want to interact with the show a little bit more when we're not actually recording, we're not actually hearing the show, we have a Twitter. It's at Cast Pioneer. You can ask us uh, search Pioneer Cast. Either one of them will come up on Twitter. Should be very easy for you to follow. You, you heard us mention Discord quite a bit on the show. We have a big Discord community. You could find the link for our Discord community on Twitter as well in there, but we have hundreds of people in here already. Lots of cool things going on here. We have something like, I think over right around 20 different channels in here. People are talking about all kinds of random stuff. Ross and I talk about sports quite a bit in there too. If you like our little sports diatribes and stuff whatever in the show, you can get into that more. You can hear him talk about the jazz for some reason or whatever. If you're a Houston Rockets fan, stay away. I still understand why you like a team in Utah that's named after like a music where they don't allow music. Um, like it's not even it's not even legal. I was there. just there, Tannen. It's not the town from Footloose. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I envision it in my mind. I've been there too. It's still the town of Footloose in my mind. Anyway, uh, and you heard us, you know, read off uh, some questions on air from some some of the people that were in our 
Discord, and that's because they are Patreons. And so we have a Patreon at patreon.com slash pioneercast. You can find that link somewhere as well. It's super easy to find. I can, you know, you can Google it or whatever. Um, we have a $2 and a $5 tier there right now. Those are the only ones that we have right now. We are working on getting at least one to two more tiers because we have a lot of stuff uh, scheduled for the new year. You know, we have Thanksgiving and Christmas coming up. It's going to slow some stuff down. Um, one of the persons that we're uh, working with right now is super swamped, so we're trying to have stuff ready for next year. Um, also, I'm a big fan of uh, under-promising and over-delivering, so we have some really cool yeah, stuff. Yeah, we have literally works. nothing. Nothing's uh, happening. Don't expect anything. <laughs> there yeah. you go. Just completely under-promise, yeah. undersell it our completely. Next, our next Patreon tier yeah, is for $10, and we're going to send you a bag of potato chips. And not like a big bag, like uh, those th- tiny little bags you get up like Subway. And like, and the sh- and the shitty ones, right? Like just plainly, yeah. it's like nothing wrong with that. Plain, but it's like plain the, you know, potato like the, chips. The, the one... Yeah, there you go. Yeah, just yeah. the really crappy ones. But we'll sign it. I'll sign the damn bag for you. I so, will. Uh, I don't know. Tan, I don't know. Sign it. No, not me. But yeah, just we have a two dollar and a five dollar tier in there, so it's you know one less Starbucks run, you know, of the week, or one less run to the vending machine. I know that helps me out a lot. I probably spend too much money at those things anyway. Um, really helps us out a lot. Uh, it helps us pay our editor, Brent, who's great. He's the one who gets these shows out. He's the one who's going to be staying up either late tonight or getting it done uh, tomorrow, which will be Wednesday when the show should be going live. So uh, definitely helping us out there does a lot and goes very far on the show. We really appreciate the help from everybody that does do that. And if you're a Patreon, you get to be in the Patreon channels in our Discord that are locked just for the Patreons. Uh, if you were in this, you could have gotten Ross's mono blacklist before the invitational happened. So you could have like gotten that deck for much less than it was, or you could have been on the ground floor helping out with that deck. Uh, we're definitely in there talking a lot. Uh, whenever I have tournaments coming up or whatever, I usually post the decks I'm playing and stuff in there. Uh, I posted the, the quote unquote mono green Tron deck that I was playing in there in pioneer and stuff. So we have some cool stuff. What? That's what we have. I just, I leaned into the microphone and made him look like I was going to talk, but I was just messing around because I'm bored. Got him. Yeah, let's say you're really loud too. Anyway, but uh, yeah, so everybody that's already uh, in there and already patrons, we really, really, really appreciate each and every one of you. And if you can't support monetarily, that's great. Just keep listening. Keep hitting those like buttons on Twitter. Keep giving us those follows. That helps us out more than you can possibly know. And give us some feedback on the show. You know, if there's something you'd like to see or whatever, uh, either tweet at us or we're going to set up a, a, a Gmail account here at some point in time to have like a little bit of a feedback section so we can do some more stuff with that. Yeah, and if you want to follow us individually, I can be found on Twitter at at Ross Hunneds. It's R-O-S-S-H-U-N-N-E-D-S. Uh, I like to interact with people there, so you can you know send questions at me, follow me, uh, and I appreciate that. I also have a weekly column on uh, StarCityGames.com. The usually goes up Tuesday. This week's is going to go up Wednesday because of the change schedule due to the holiday. Uh, and this week's article is going to be about collected company in Pioneer. Why we haven't really seen a lot of it and potential ways to rethink collected company in the format. Uh, so if that interests you, be sure to check that out. I also host Versus Live with Corey Baumeister. That is a web show we do twice a week, 1 to 4 p.m. Tuesdays and Thursdays at twitch.tv slash starcitygames. Same channel you go to to watch opens and invitationals and all that jazz. We do that during the week. We will have no show on Thanksgiving, but we will be there next Tuesday at 1 o'clock Eastern. We play basically any format that's relevant and people want to see. We ask questions you know, live from the audience and have a good time there. Uh, so please tune on to tune into that. Uh, if you can't tune in live, you can see those on the Star City Games YouTube channel the tuesday shows go up on friday the thursday shows go up the following monday 
Absolutely. I'm, I'm actually in that chat quite a bit too. I'm in there. I'm usually giving in some, uh, some, some yeah. burns and stuff during the event as well. I like to give Ross a hard time while he's working and stuff. Cause it's, it's very unique. I don't get to usually mess with my friends while they're working. So it's kind of fun. If you wanted to and usually, usually Tanner's on the receiving end. Oh, I get burned way more often than I, than <laughs> I do the burning for sure. And it's great every time I love it. Um, I really don't love it, but anyway, <laughs> if you wanted to follow me and me, yeah, if you wanted to follow me personally and get some more of what goes on in my head, God knows why you'd want that. But you can find me at these hand and grace on Twitter. I'm pretty active on there. A lot of sports, a lot of magic, et cetera, et cetera. So if you wanted to find some more of that stuff, go hit that follow button and follow us on at, at cast pioneer yet again. But that's going to do it for this week's episode. Really appreciate everybody listening and uh, look out for us next week. <laughs>